0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Hear the word of the Lord. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Well, again, good morning and welcome to the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. We've been studying uh, the Gospel of Matthew for a while. We, we started this, this long section of Jesus' teaching last week. It's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew. Uh, it's largely about the end of the world, um, which is kind of fun. So uh, let me pray, and we need God's help, and let's ask for it now uh, together as we listen. God, uh, we are so grateful that you have given us your word um, and we need your help in understanding it. Um, and even, even more, God, we need your help in, in uh, being able to live out the things that we do so clearly understand from your word. And so God, would you convict us of those things, challenge us, God, show us our, own, our shortcomings, um, and help us find in your word uh, a path uh, to flourishing and to wholeness. Uh, not just instruction on how best to live, although that's there, but God, uh, wisdom in knowing how uh, to be reconciled with you and to live the, the life that you've called and created us for. We thank you for giving us that. Help us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you knew the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do today? Or let's say if it was going to be next year or, or, or 10 years, like what would, you, what would you do differently right right now? I think many of you know how, uh, how much I love the modern apocalypse, right? I mean, I love those stories. I just finished uh, reading uh, The Stand by Stephen King for the first time. Anybody else, right? Uh, and, and having just finished it, like I am, I am almost ready to become a prepper, okay? Uh, seriously, I'm not, I'm not a prepper at this point, um, but you know, I'm thinking about it. A prepper, for those of you who don't know, is, is someone uh, who just wants to be prepared for, for whatever end uh, might be in store. So if it's a government meltdown or a terrorist attack or some natural disaster, um, you're, you're ready, right? Are you following me? And, and so a good prepper be sure to have, you know, plenty of non-perishable food, seeds, uh, water filters, gun, uh, plenty of ammo, um, and of course, a thorough knowledge of how to take out a zombie, just in case, right? Um, that's part of being a prepper. And, and some of you, some of you are like right there. Like you're, you're, I, you either are a prepper or you're thinking about becoming one, um, or you at least want to become really good friends with somebody who is, right? Just in case. And others of you think it's absolutely nuts, Right? And yet, regardless of who you are, I think, I think we all recognize how fragile our world is, don't we? And of course, we, we want to be ready. In fact, if you Google Prepper, you find all kinds of good tips. Uh, in fact, there was a, a documentary on National Geographic that lasted, I think, five seasons this show. Uh, about how to, how to do this and, and how, how to do it well. Um, I also, I found an article just from about a week and a half ago in the New Yorker on, on billionaire preppers. And let me tell you, these guys know how to do it right, okay? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not making this up. This is in the New York. You can, you can find the article. Uh, maybe don't find it now. Um, find it later, unless you get really bored, I guess. Um, but in this article, like, they, they bought an old missile silo just north of Wichita, actually. So you can, you can drive there. Go take a look, um, see what's going on. Uh, and they converted it into 15 stories of underground luxury apartments. There's 12 units. All of them are already sold, so you're out of luck. Uh, they went for $1.5 to $3 million each. Uh, and they're ready, right, just, just in case. And in, in it, I mean, they've got tilapia tanks. They've got underground vegetable gardens, sustainable power. power. Uh, they have a sniper post, uh, a shooting range, a doctor, a dentist, and an indoor pool, right? I mean, their plan B is nicer than my plan A, right? And, and I, I'm not, I'm not make, making fun um, at, at them or at Preppers in general. I mean, that might be just a tiny bit extreme, I guess. Um, but of course, we want to be ready. If you knew the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do differently today? Or, or if you knew you were going to end tomorrow. Because I, I want to be ready. Now, I know this is going to sound weird. Um, but if you think about it, Jesus and his disciples were kind of some of the first preppers. I mean, kind of. Like, I mean, Jesus talked about the end a ton. Uh, and he wanted his disciples to, to, be, to be ready, to be prepared. And he, he tells us how, but it's, it's not like what you'd probably think. Cause he doesn't, he doesn't tell us to hunker down and stay safe. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us to get going on that bucket list. Cause you've only got so much time to check those things off. Uh, he doesn't even tell us that you, to prep for the end, you better obey all the rules and make sure everyone you, you, that you love knows that you love them. Like not to minimize those things. This is not where, it's not where Jesus goes. In fact, according to Jesus, what we see here in Matthew 24 is that a, a ready life is a surprisingly ordinary life. A ready life is a surprisingly ordinary life. Hmm. So as I, as I said, we're in Matthew 24 and 25 here this morning. Uh, we're in the midst of this, this long section, last section of Jesus' teaching to his disciples, nearing the end. It's in, it's in his final week uh, before his, his execution. Uh, and, and we started it last week, and we're taking it uh, kind of in four chunks. It's one, it's one sermon, one section of teaching that Jesus gives his disciples, because there's so much there, we broke it into these, these four things. Uh, and so the, today we're kind of in the, the second half of chapter 24, and we'll, we'll kind of jump in a little bit to chapter 25 as well, because um, they, they go so, so clearly together. Uh, so they're on the Mount of Olives, that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. And if, if you remember, if you hear last week, it began because Jesus just made this, this crazy prediction. He said the temple, like their temple, is going to be destroyed. And, and the disciples, in response to this, they ask two questions in return. When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the signs for when the end of the world is nearby? Now, as we said last week, right, in our minds, those questions seem completely unrelated, right? It's like, why would you put this, the, the destruction of the temple, which did happen, by the way, in AD 70, four decades after this, uh, the Romans completely destroyed the temple. Uh, but like, and the end of the world, like, what's going on? Especially since Jesus answers these two questions Really, as, as one in many ways. Well, it's because in their mindset, the destruction of the temple signified the beginning of the end. Like they, they weren't seeing as separate events, but one step in a long sequence of future coming events. And so the temple has been destroyed, which means like we're living in the end, you and I. Of course, the challenge is we have been saying that for 2,000 years. And, and while the disciples want to know when, I mean, of course they do, right? If you were sitting down with Jesus talking about the end of the world, of course you'd ask him when. We all would. But Jesus, like, like he knows that that's their question, but he, he wants nothing to do with it, right? He, he's not gonna go down the path of when at all. Everything that he has to say to his disciples and to us, it's not about when, it's about now. It's how do we prep now? And a ready life is a surprisingly ordinary life. Okay, so as we look at this, we just read the first section of this. Uh, it's broken into three sections, this, this next part of the text. Uh, and in these, these three sections, we find three things on, on how to prep for the end of the world. How to prep for the end of the world. Three things. First, first a ready life plans to be surprised, which I know, right? That just kind of sounds ridiculous, all right? But you can't miss it. Like Jesus says, you got to be ready. You got to plan for this, but it's going to completely catch you off guard, right? There's a planning to be surprised. That's going to come along, come along with this. Verse thirty-six, for example. uh, Jesus says, "But concerning that day and hour, like of the end, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son—that's Jesus—but the Father only." Like. Not even Jesus knows, like at least, at least while he was on earth. And I know that probably like raises a few questions for some of us, right? I thought Jesus was God. Doesn't he, doesn't he know everything? Um, and yes, yes, I believe, right? That scripture teach that Jesus, he is God. Uh, and we see in the gospels that Jesus has divine knowledge, but not, not here. And you see in, in other places, we, we recognize very quickly that Jesus, like in becoming human, God limited himself. Like he chose to do that. And so he limited himself. So he gets hungry, right? In the gospels, you see that he gets thirsty. He gets tired. God gets tired or, or feels pain or frustration. Well, this, this is similar to that, that, that God, as he entered into humanity, he limits himself. And this part of knowledge is outside of his, of his, of his reach, it's mysterious, okay? I know, I'm not going to minimize that. But it's really not the point, okay? Uh, the point is, like what Jesus is getting at here is like, just put the charts away for crying out loud. Like, stop trying to predict it. Uh, the, the, the doomsday assumptions, you know, the, the endless predictions. I mean, Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years and the only thing in common with all the predictions of the end of the world, like so far, uh, is that they're all dead wrong, right? And Jesus, like, Jesus says, like, I don't even know. Do you really think we're going to fare better at figuring it out, right? Better than the Son of God? No, All right? So I mean, that's he—he he completely avoids the conversation about when, and he gets right to the now. Plan to be surprised. Well, how do we do that? Well, here is a very wise and insightful clip to help us. Right, right, you get it, okay? I mean, I, I know it's, it's ridiculous, but that's, that's literally like the first thing I thought of uh, when I thought of this, of planning to be, like, that you can, you can plan to be surprised and still be surprised, right? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, that's, that scene. And yet, where, where Jesus goes from here, I mean, it's remarkably ordinary when he, he kind of lays out sort of what's going on at the end. And, and so look at that. If you have a Bible, right, Matthew 24, towards the end there, he talks about how it's gonna be like it was back with Noah, he says. Back in the days of Noah, people were, they were eating and drinking and just living normal life, they're getting married and, and having kids and all that, and they they had no idea that an end, an apocalypse of, of its own sort was, was coming for them. And Jesus then says in verse 39, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's that's Jesus. He says, Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. And while, I mean, there's a lot that can be said about what, what Jesus is getting at there, right? Um, and yet, one of the things that struck me most this week as I studied is just how ordinary it is. I mean, it's just, it's just normal life that Jesus is describing. I mean, yeah, last, last week, if you were here, we talked about, that as the end comes, right, we're, we'll see suffering and division, that, that persecution is a part of that, and yet at the same time, it's Life goes on. It keeps continuing. Working in the field, grinding in the mill, sitting in the cubicle, studying for that test, folding all that laundry. Plan to be surprised. And yet in the meantime, as we do that, we have to embrace the ordinary. Like they're just doing their normal stuff. Living their normal lives. But faithful. Faithful. You know, sometimes I think, and I've slipped into this as well, but sometimes it's so easy uh, to begin to think that, that the ready life, like the ready Christian life, you got to be like, I don't know, you got to like sell everything you have and move to a foreign country or you have to like always talk about Jesus all the time. or You have to make sure that you obey every single rule, right? And never, never mess up. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing those things. But much of life is just plain ordinary, isn't it? But when we live our ordinary lives following Christ, there's nothing ordinary about them. An, an example of this, Martin Luther, uh, the, great, the great reformer um, back in the, the 16th century. I, I love Martin Luther. What a fascinating character to study. I mean, he was one of the most brilliant individuals ever on planet Earth, frankly. And the ways in which he shaped even who we are and how, I mean, it's amazing, right? If you, I mean, I love the Reformation time period. It's actually the 500th anniversary this year, uh, for those of you who know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you don't, that's, that's okay too. Um, but Martin Luther, like, somebody asked him once, What would you do today if you knew the end of the world was coming tomorrow? You know, Martin Luther, right? What would you do today? His answer, he said, I would plant a tree. Because he embraced the ordinary. And he, he knew that when Jesus comes back, it's not to destroy the earth, but to make, to make her whole. Uh, that, that some way, in, in ways we can't even begin to understand, that heaven and earth become one, that a, a tree planted today has an even better chance at flourishing in a new tomorrow. And so he said, I'd, I'd plant a tree. And so, like, what Jesus is getting at here, like, don't run for the hills as we see the end coming, plant trees, <laughs> love your kids. Work for justice. Serve your neighbors. Do your work. Do it well. Study for that test. What we begin, Jesus will finish. And in the midst of the ordinary, one of these days, he's going to show up. Verse verse 44, as Jesus kind of ends this section, he says, therefore, you must, therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour. You do not expect plan to be surprised. So embrace the ordinary. Okay. That's the, the first section. Now, after this section, Jesus tells two stories, which is the, the second and the third points as we uh, work through this text together. Uh, and so the second thing, as we enter into this story uh, that Jesus tells, as you prep for the end, you have to expect him daily. Like live every day as if this is the day you're going to meet Jesus, like face to face. If you do that, then you'll be ready, he says. Well, that's easy, right? Good grief. But, but look, at, look how he describes it. This is uh, verse 45 now. He tells this story. He says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Okay. It's a, it's a little bit maybe confusing. And as Jesus continues, but, but essentially you got a picture like Jesus is saying, imagine like two servants at two different houses. And, and you know, this is, this is ancient culture. And so that's kind of how, how it would have worked. And so what these servants, each of them, they were, the one, they were the servants in charge of the other servants. Okay. So you're imagining that? So picture, picture both of them, Uh, but the first one, so the master, he goes away uh, and he's delayed. They don't know where he is or what's, what's happened, but he's, he's not back yet. And so for the the first servant, you know, the, the boss is gone, right? I might as well get to it, right? You only live once. Uh, And so he's, he's, you know, he's partying like there's no tomorrow. In fact, Jesus says he begins to abuse his other, his other servant. I mean, he's been delayed. We don't know if he's even coming back. Is he dead? What, you know, it's like, forget it. Let's just do our own thing. But the, the other servant over the other house, well, this guy, he's, he's more like, he's more like this guy right here. you remember him. Oh, I miss that guy. Don't you miss? I mean, okay. So for those of you who don't know, it's Carson from Downton Abbey. Okay, but he—he he is like, I mean, he, I just—I want to be him when I grow up, right? Like, it doesn't—it doesn't matter that the house is not his, that he's a servant there. He treats it as if it's his own house. He's never off duty, right? He even when Lord Grantham is away, he—he he acts as if he could walk through any door at any moment, right? He's always on call, always on duty, working for the good of the house. But the other servant, the other guy, I mean, Jesus makes it really clear. He's going to be judged when that master comes back. In fact, each of these stories talks about judgment. We're not avoiding it. We're just going to save it for later. Okay. Cause there's uh, this whole Olivet discourse sort of builds to a place of a picture of really terrible judgment. Like if you're not ready, it's, it's not pretty uh, for you. Uh, we'll talk about that in, in a couple of weeks. So we're not, we're not skipping it. We're just going to save it for, for later, you know, like a treat later. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's awful. Uh, I confess. Okay. Um, but, but so that judgment is coming for the one who's not ready. But the other servant, like, who you, if you think about it, he's not doing anything spectacular, except that he's just ready. And he will be rewarded. Expect him daily. So what, like, party like it's your last? You know, check off everything on your bucket list as quick as you can because you only have so much time left? I mean, that's, that's honestly, that's my tendency, right? I want to grab as much life as I possibly can now, and I, I want to do it on, on my terms, right? No matter the cost. I mean, we all know, like, it doesn't matter who you are what you believe. Like, we know an end is coming, don't we? I mean, whether it's some big cataclysmic end or just my own personal end, it's coming. You don't have to be a Christian to feel that. And while everyone around us says, YOLO, you know, you only live once. What a ridiculous thing to live by. The wise and faithful servant, expect him daily, so work like there's no tomorrow. That's what we learn here. Like if you want to be, re- be ready, if you, like a real prepper, a real prepper doesn't stop and hunker down. A real prepper works like there's no tomorrow because there might not be one. It's not, it's not run for the hills. It's get to work. The master is on his way. And, and it's, not, it's not that we can't enjoy life. You know, rest and play and celebration, all those in in their right places at right times, right, are are good things. Jesus is not commending the servant for being a burnt out workaholic. The people, there's work to be done. And just, I mean, think about this. Like, there's work to be done, and this might be, today might be your last chance to do it. This might be it. I mean, it might, it might be the last chance you get for the people around you that you love to know that how much you love them. This might be it. Like, or like, are, like, are your relationships in order or is there that, that, that closet, you know, somewhere in your house that you just don't want anybody to look in? I mean, are we, are we living in this way? Are you serving your clients at work as if it's your last opportunity to care for them? Are you pursuing your neighbors? Are you caring for the vulnerable? As if it's the last chance, or sharing Jesus? Or even changing diapers to the glory of God? Are we living with the kind of character and diligence that when we finally see him walk through those doors, that we'll actually be glad that he's come? Excited to see him? I May mean, I tell you, the older I get, you know, I don't know what it is, but the more I, just, I feel this, right? Again, it's not, not even like whether or not Jesus comes back today or tomorrow. Like, like, I could be dead by the end of the day, right? And the older you get, the more you realize that you see the end coming. There's a, there's a psalm that I've, I've grabbed onto recently. It's, it haunts me, but I love it. Uh, it's in Psalm 90. The psalmist says, I'll just read one verse. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And basically what the psalmist is saying, teach me to remember that my death is coming. That with every, every day, every moment, every breath takes me closer to it. And you know when it is already. Help me to live in light of that fact so that, so that I may be wise now. And we read that and we're like, man, what is this guy's problem, right? I mean, for us in, in sort of Western culture, we just hate the idea of death so much. Like, we, we will do anything to avoid thinking about it. It's, it's morbid, it's gross, and so we, we refuse to even acknowledge it. But the converse of this psalm is also true that it's only the fool who lives as if it will never end. Like, it's only, only the fool who lives their life as if there isn't an expiration date written somewhere on you, right? It's only the fool because it is coming for all of us. Imagine I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but imagine if we actually began each day with something like, Jesus, help me to live today as if before I go to bed, I'll have met you face to face. Help me to to go through this day to live every bit of it as if, like expecting that by the end of this day, I will have met you. What would that change? Man, change a lot, wouldn't it? my life, yours, the way that we live? Yes, it's an ordinary life, but at the same time, there's nothing ordinary about it, is there? Expect him daily. So work like there's no tomorrow. All right, one more story that Jesus tells here. Uh, And there's some tension here, and you kind of expect some tension, right, as you talk about the end of the world. And and so if you followed it so far, we've said if you want to prep for the end of the world, you have to plan to be surprised. That's the first thing. You have to expect him daily. And then third here, and finally, you also have to prepare for the long haul. Do you see the tension? Like You have to, you have to live actually as if, as if today is your last, but also as if there's a thousand years left. Well, how do we do that, right? Well, to start at 25, Jesus gives us some hints on how to do that. He tells, he tells another story. Uh, and this, this story is about 10 virgins at a party, which just sounds like a dirty joke. Um, or, or maybe the afterlife of another religion. It's neither of those things. Don't get hung up on that word, okay? It has nothing to do with that word. Uh, it, it, it's just young women, maid, maid, maids, maidens, right? Maid servants or, or, or bridesmaids is really the idea. It's a wedding party. These are the bridesmaids. And so, and so culturally, like a bridesmaid was a big deal, right? I mean, similar to today, but in, in different different capacities. Uh, but a, a wedding typically in that culture... Uh, the groom and all the the groomsmen, his friends would be at the groom's house uh, and the bride and all the bridesmaids and really all the guests for the wedding would be at her house. And and at some point, uh, the the groom and his party would make a a parade to the bride's house where the the ceremony would take place. And then after the ceremony, they all take a, a parade, like back to the groom's house where the party would be, the celebration. And these people, I mean, they knew how to party, okay? Like these, this would like sun up to way past sundown, they'd be celebrating. And the mark of a bridesmaid in that culture, it's ridiculous to us, but if you understand like this is a long time and they're making these journeys, right? The, the mark of a bridesmaid was the one who had the lamp because they're, they're going to need it later, right? To see where they're going. And so similar today, like, you know, if you're not wearing the, the overpriced pink puffy gown, um, claiming to be a bridesmaid, like you're an imposter, right? You're a wedding crasher. You don't, you don't fit similarly with the lamp. It was the symbol that you were an official part of this wedding. Well, this particular wedding, Jesus tells us, the groom is late. We don't know why. We don't know where he's been or what he's up to, but he's late. Verse 5, or delayed maybe is a better way of saying it. Verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept but at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And so they've been asleep, right? Because it's, it's late at night now. And, and so they're all, I mean, you just got to picture them. They're, they're all in a tizzy trying to get everything ready and, and find their lamps and get everything organized and ready to go. I mean, they are eager for the celebration to commence. But Jesus tells us, five of the bridesmaids, the foolish ones, they didn't bring any extra oil. They didn't know that the wait was going to be so long and their lamps burned out. And so they quickly, in the midst of all this hustle, they, they run out to the store in the middle of the night trying to, I guess, I don't know, find a 7-Eleven that sold oil, right? And, and so they're there, they're there at the store, but these, these wise maidens, on the other hand, the other five, they also didn't know how long they'd have to wait, but they were ready. They knew how to wait, for they had packed a little extra oil. And so the groom comes and The other five, the foolish ones, they're missing. They're late and they don't don't get there in time. They they miss out on the celebration of the party. Only, Only those who are ready go in. And so Jesus ends this with verse 13. He says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And as Difficult as this story is just culturally, right? To understand the, the dynamics of what's happening here. It's, it's a strange story that Jesus tells. And yet I got to tell you, I am so thankful he tells it. Aren't you? Because man, it feels like he's delayed, doesn't it? Like 2,000 years, really, Jesus? Like when is this guy coming back already? I mean, don't, I mean we've, we feel it. I don't, you know the question. You feel it. I don't know the answer. I mean, maybe he maybe said every day that passes is another chance for somebody, Right? Another chance, frankly, for all of us. I don't don't know why he's delayed. And, And while this story gives us no help in figuring out when, it makes it clear you've got to prepare for the long haul. Yes, expect him daily and work like there's no tomorrow. But you also have to wait like there's no end in sight. Like, wait like it's never going to end, you know? Like sitting in traffic and you can't see the, the end of it, you know. You're just like, well, I guess I die here, right? Um, wait like there's no end in sight. I mean, let me give, let me give an example of that. In the early church, this is a really big deal. Like in the first like few years or, or early decades after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection, they really, they really struggle with this. Because, I mean, think about it. They had seen Jesus die and buried and come back to life. And they saw him ascend into heaven, right? And all the mis- mystery that, that was. And Jesus had said, hey, I'm going to be back. Like, I'll, I'll come. And so they were like, man, let's, let's, let's wait. He's coming. And so some of them like quit their jobs. They stopped getting married. They basically moved to a silo just north of Wichita to wait for Jesus, right? That's what they're doing. And, and the apostles, you can see this in some of the letters, are like, what are you got, what's wrong with you? Like, knock it off, they, they say. Yes, we have to live with urgency as if it could be at any moment. But we also have to plan and prepare as if it's millennia more. It doesn't matter. Not as long as you're ready. Which means we live in this this time between, I mean, it's such a weird place, isn't it? We live with incredible urgency on the one hand, watching the skies, looking for his return, and at at the same time with incredible endurance, endless patience, working hard, loving deeply, living well, making sure our oil doesn't run out. How we, we wait like there's no end in sight. And man, we're terrible at it, aren't we? I mean, it feels like with every, every year that passes, we humans just become more awful at waiting, at being patient. And we begin to lose hope and think, man, is this really worth it? Is he really, I mean, come on, 2,000 years, he's still coming back? And I'm convinced it's one of the reasons why the author of the Hebrews writes these words to the early church and, and to us, as the wait grew longer and longer. I mean, imagine what that was like for them. They thought, they thought it was now. Um, the author of the Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the end drawing near. And we need each other, don't we? I mean, it's a remarkable thing about Jesus, about the gospel, is that in, in many ways, like it's a decision that only you can make for yourself, like to follow him. And yet at the same time, it's one that cannot be lived out alone. Like you have to have people around you because we lose heart. We, we give up. We, we're so impatient. We need, we need one another. Eyes to the skies and nose to the grindstone. Together we wait. Hmm. A ready life is a surprisingly ordinary life. But are we ready? Because on the one hand, while it is entirely ordinary, we're just working, waiting, doing our thing. And at the same time, there's nothing ordinary about it, is there? I mean, just like think about it, what we've just said for a moment. That you and I here in the 21st century, we are awaiting a previously dead man, to come to earth flying on the clouds to come and get us, to make, to make this world right again. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, to think that we, we actually thinking people here in this room, we believe that. And Matthew believed it. Matthew actually so much so that he wrote this down for us and it tells us like, build your life on this. How could he do that? How could we, how could we say that it's true? Well, we talked about this last week, right? I think the only, the only answer for Matthew here is that Matthew heard these words and a couple days later, he saw Jesus on the cross. He saw life leave his body. And then three days after that, he actually saw this same Jesus come out of the grave alive. And it had to click in Matthew's mind, right? That if, if he can do that, well, then I guess maybe he can do this other thing, right? If he can defeat death in the grave and, and all that is evil, then maybe, just maybe he met what he said. That he will come back. He will make us right and restore us. Maybe it's true, and if so, are you ready? I mean, if you knew the world were, in, were to end tomorrow, what would you do differently this afternoon? Or if, or if you were to end tomorrow? None of us are guaranteed another day. I mean, maybe for some of us, it's just simply time to give him your life. Like, stop waiting, right? Just do it. Maybe for others, it's it's parts of your life or or things that you've just kept hidden, right? Or they're off limits. You've gone like this to God or to others or or maybe maybe you just feel God pushing you or or tugging you in a certain certain direction. Before it's too late, we can be forgiven. There's time for that. We, We can enter into the process even now of being made whole. There's still time. Which means, if you, if you think about it, like we can work and wait in anticipation of the end, the cataclysmic end that's coming. We can do that with joy. I mean, not that it's not scary, right? Or, or, or filled with, with heartache along the way, but actually with joy that, that you and I, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, because of his defeat of death in the grave, that we can prep for the end with delight instead of dread, believing that he's coming. And that, friends, that makes even the most ordinary life extraordinary. For this Jesus, this groom, he, when he finally comes, those who trust in him, we're not just invited to the party. We're not just the bridesmaids, right, with our little lamps ready to go. When he comes back, he comes for us. We, his people, the bride, the church, we are the bride and this, this celebration, this culmination of all things, this feast, it is for us. And, and so for, for us here in this room this morning, we actually, I mean, it's a small thing, but we get a taste of that feast today. I mean, as we gather around the Lord's table, it's just, it's the beginning of this great celebration that we get to have one day, that he's coming for us. For just moments from this time here on the Mount of Olives, Jesus, he's going to take bread, right? Some of you know this scene. He's going to break it and say, this is my body. It's broken for you. Similarly, he's going to take the cup and say, this is my blood poured out for you. And Paul tells us later that we do this in remembrance of his death, um, proclaiming his death until he comes, looking to the skies, eager, waiting that this is just a taste. And as we prep for the end, why don't we take just a moment to quietly reflect I have to think, think through Jesus's words here. To maybe even just wrestle with the really hard question. It's hard for me anyway. Of what? What do you need to do today, right now? What do you need to do to get ready? Let's pray silently, and then we'll we'll continue. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you forgive us for how short-sighted we live? How how naive we are in thinking that we have forever or or that we just have to grab onto joy and satisfaction now at the expense of what you have in store for us. God, forgive me. I know that's where my heart goes. It's so easy. Lord Jesus, would you show us um, how you're better? And God, would you, um, we, wanna, we wanna prep for the end, but the reality is we need you to prepare us uh, would you do that work in us, through us, and the people around us? Make us ready, Lord Jesus. We need your help. And help us even as we gather around this table to know your joy um, as, as a groom who's coming to, to get his bride. Help us to know your love and passion and intimacy in that way. And Lord Jesus as well, we, uh, we pray joining in together with the old words of the Puritan. Let me read these words for us as a prayer. In this supper, we remember your eternal love, your boundless grace, your infinite compassion, your agony, your cross, your redemption. And we receive assurance of pardon, adoption, life, and glory. As the outward elements of bread, and wine nourish our bodies. So may your indwelling spirit invigorate our souls until that day when we hunger and thirst no more and sit with Jesus at his heavenly feast. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, we pray. Amen.